Check it outside there. Check outside. Were you nervous before you did Colin Best? Uh, not at all. No. Nervous for anyone? No. Um, Cheryl one was awkward. She brought his bike. And I walked out. What a push bike. Yeah, push bike. I walked out in the street and he goes, I'm going to bring this inside. And I was just like, oh, what have we done here? So for around 20 seconds before the Cheryl one, there was a bit of iffiness, but following that, we were all good. All right, come on. Do mine as well. <coughs> Thank you. Hmm? Are we good to go? Is it on? Welcome to episode 32 of, well, at this stage, the the famous Michael Anthony show. Uh, today we're joined by one half of um, Irish Rugby's most famous set of brothers. Um, between them, they have four Heineken Cups, three Magners Leagues, two undefeated Lions Tours, and an LV Cup final. Jerry Sexton, thanks for coming on today, my man. How are you? Yeah, all good. Um, it's kind of an unusual one for me, this one, because like, there's there's nothing really to say straight off the bat. But um, rugby and you, like my memories of you as a young guy watching pornography for the first time and stuff like that, you know what I mean? They're kind of deep-rooted in these nearly kind of psychologically disturbing memories as opposed to sporting ones. So um, rugby is a game that I don't think when you were 10 you go, I want to be a rugby player. I think you're very happy you're a rugby player. I think it's great, but I don't think you dreamt of it young. No, honestly, I don't think anybody dreams of playing rugby young. What about like Wilkinson and all those boys? I think you just fall into it. Um, I think obviously when you get older and in school with Mary's, at 17, you start thinking maybe I could play when you start getting caught up to Ireland and stuff. Boys are doing it younger than that, though. Yeah, maybe. I never really had that mindset. See, obviously, I didn't grow up thinking I want to be a rugby player. It just kind of fell into <laughs> me, and I've enjoyed doing it since I was 18. The story, yeah, you said 18. The story with you and rugby was a weird one because, like, in junior school, first, second year, third year, those key years where these people are eager, you didn't give a bollocks. Junior cup, not really your thing. Yeah, obviously, I, I really haven't thought about that kind of stuff in so long. But thinking back on it now, the Junior Cup team, it brings you close to friends and uh, no, you start, uh, yeah, you start enjoying no, it. You know what is, I mean? Man, you're not in Mary's assembly right now. You're on the Michael Anthony show, okay? We don't talk about friends and Junior Cup memories. Something happened when you were 16, you became good at rugby overnight. Do you think the fact that you came from such a strong rugby background with your uncle playing for Ireland and your father being deadly, playing for Ireland schools, obviously your brother's deadly, and then there's you, your other brother was good as well. Do you think that it's easier for you to snap into being good because you're more aware of what standards are innately? You know what's good so young. So it was easier for you to go, okay, I'm kind of shit at 15, but I need to be good, I want to be good. So bang, you could do it when other people have to work so hard. You're just so used to success in rugby around you. I think obviously it makes a huge difference when you're watching my brother obviously going on. He's going to win, win his first Heineken Cup when I'm 16, sit on the mm. piss with all the boys, probably at the game, half cut, can't really remember most of it. But yeah. when you're obviously, when you're there watching, you do realise, fuck, it would be good to be good at this game. Yeah, is that what happened? Yeah, it yeah. was around that time. Well, I think it's the same as in rugby only really started getting to a stage where you could make a career out of it when we were 15 and 16. Before then, it wasn't yeah. really professional, properly professional game. That was that kind of O'Driscoll era that changed all that. Yeah. Do you think he's the best Irish rugby player ever? Um, yeah. Yeah. Obviously because, because of the effect he had. Because of what he did for the whole game, he nearly got it to the stage of him being a playboy when he was younger. And <laughs> oh, fuck me! Oh. No, but he oh. he made it big in the Irish media. Do you know what I mean? He was always he was having a cigarette out of nightclub. <laughs> he was having ending. He's on he's on the front page of the paper. Man, he wasn't George Best. He was a centre who wore rugby gloves, who had a pair of quick hands. He went out with Glenda Gilson. But before him, not Carmen Electra. I know, but before him, there was no such thing in Irish rugby. With has any absolutely yeah, but that's also because like England won the World Cup at that time. <laughs> 
point. England won the World Cup at that time, yeah? And we're so influenced by what's big in the UK as a nation. Naturally, we're right beside them. So maybe like the England 03 World Cup win, in a way, made the game bigger in Ireland yeah, as well. Remember, and maybe Bristol gets too much credit. I remember watching that in your house. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Wilkins is in the drop goal. But crazy. Again, it's such it's such a minor sport even now that if it keeps on growing, obviously. But to come back to why you got good so quick, like I remember, like playing with you in Willow one day. We were real young, and you were taking the piss, not really trying, like flirting with B teams. Real unacceptable kind of sextant household behaviour. You're obviously been a bit bold or something on. You were just wearing a pair of white rugby gloves. I'd never seen you tackle before. You'd never tried to. You were too interested in taking the piss. But this big, fat, reptilian bastard in a Willow jersey ran at you. And you just really decided this one tackle to go low. It looked really sore. You were holding your wrist on the ground. But you really hit him hard. You didn't tackle like that again for a year and a half. But it was in you. Momentarily, you could just do it. Does that panic kick in? That ability to get good so quick because your standards are so high? Good at rugby for you and what you were around was different to what it was for somebody else. There's people who get on junior fucking cup teams, who get in senior cup teams, and their parents have fucking pictures of them in their kitchen. What do you have? That Magnus League bottle, randomly, that you're still debating about cracking into. The standards are high. That's what leads to success. Yeah, I, I think... No nose, please. No mountain was too high. Used to it. No, I think... I think when you start achieving at something and get credit or getting picked in teams, you do get a buzz from it. I think playing at a decent level of sport gives you that buzz which you're looking for, which obviously makes a huge difference. <coughs> obviously, when whenever I made my debut for Exeter in, uh, in the Premiership, that, that initial buzz of coming onto the pitch is something you can't replicate, and I think that makes you hungry for more. Yeah, but let's go back to when you got good. So you get good, then you play in fifth year. You're good then. It's like he's good out of nowhere. Then sixth year happens. You're on a pretty shit senior cup team. That's just look at the draw. That 2011 side. Partiers. Fat. Morons, really. Um, Then you win that thing with Ireland. And after the game, you did your shoulder. You did your collarbone, didn't you? Yeah. In the final against England. Great England side. They had some ridiculous players in that team. Massive players, yeah. Like, was your man Anthony Watson in that team? Yeah, Anthony Watson, Jonathan Jack Joseph, Noel, Jack Noel, yeah, Henry Slade, Slade. weirdos. I don't yeah. know how Ireland beat them. Um, and you gave the finger to the camera after the game off your nut on whatever meds you were on, yeah. Yeah, you obviously you got coming off with a broken collarbone. They can't do anything for it, so they're just handing you a few meds. Exactly, and you're 18. Yeah, you always kind of did lean towards. I wouldn't say trouble, but kind of an element of anti-establishment was just in you. You're not a guy who loves following the rules in any walk of life. That's nothing to be ashamed of. No, of course not. But So what I'm saying is to go into such a kind of career like rugby that is so militant in the orders that are given out to you by coaches, etc., and the expectations that are put on you by teammates, do you think that it was hard to, being an anti-establishment guy, um, become comfortable with that, or did you need that? I think you need it. I think. When, Did you need it though? Yeah, I think. I think everyone needs discipline in their lives. Yeah, of course. But if it wasn't for that level of stringency and a coach shouting at you to do laps, would you have gone wild? Um, Are you very happy you've you've rugby union? Yeah, I think. Of course, I'm very happy with rugby union. It gives you a really good path path to follow, especially <coughs> like you said. But you don't. I don't know how my life would have turned out. I could have went into the army. I could have went into. Maybe the police service. I don't think you would have went into the army, man. Oh, I definitely would have went into probably the Gardaí or the police or something. I've what about been... the Gardaí do you like? I just I like not being stuck at an office. I like also. Okay. I also like having a schedule to follow. Yes. I like being in rugby. I like having something eight to four every day, eight to five, where you're telling you what to do. You're telling you exactly what you need in your body. Do you think when you started out in the kind of professional route and you were in the Leinster Academy again, a very talented crop of players coming through at that time? Do you think you weren't ready for that kind of schedule and commitment that you are now? Do you think a lot of it was actually on your part, naivety and lack of effort, and other guys were more willing? If you were working as hard as you worked at Jersey at Leinster, do you think things could have been different? Um, I think it's hindsight's always a great thing, obviously. For me, I struggled 
in Leinster because I've always had my school friends very close with, but I'd be going out on ter- Thursday nights with them when I probably shouldn't have been, probably drinking a bit too much when I just needed the discipline of going, actually, I'm not going to go out now for a month or yeah. six weeks. I think everyone needs that. So you didn't want it enough when you were there? No, and I, I'd openly admit that. That doesn't mean I would have made it. They're the best rugby team on this side of the world anyway, or definitely up there in top two. So to say I was going to make it there, I think is um, pretty arrogant, but I think I would have had a better chance of getting a bit maybe a bit more game time with the A team or whatever that would have made. You know the way Leinster produces a comedic number of players? Like comedy. For If you think about it, it's a five-mile radius. It stretches from Dunleary to, I mean, Rathfarnham's lucky to be included. You could cut off that shit at Rathgar. Do you know what I mean? There's going to be like, because if we're including knock line, cut it off. Um, five-mile radius, you're talking about like every five years... Six world-class players are actually being produced from a tiny part of the world like that. Leinster's quality pool is ridiculous. Why aren't Wasps and Saracen Scouts at Leinster School Senior Cup games now taking over guys who weren't making it? Um, I think the big thing is it's very hard to get things if you're not English qualified. I was lucky to have my granny, who was uh, born in Leeds, which actually got me the opportunity to go to England. Is that but, what happened? Yeah, but you hear co- so, you hear yeah. coaches who, like when I'm in Jersey now, they're asking me about players in Ireland. Or I tell them, I know a guy who's good, who's getting released. If he's not English qualified, they can't have him. They're getting 30, 40 grand a month to fill the quota in the squad, which is huge for smaller teams. So, you, when you went to Exeter from Ock, yeah, a lot of that was because you had the English qualification. You're like a homegrown player guy. Yeah, basically I was taken in as an English academy player. So it's so easy for Exeter to take a chance on me. They're actually gaining money for me being there. From the union? Yeah. If like a new rugby game came out and you could like pick an outrageous number of people for your World Cup squad, would you be pickable for the English team and not the Irish team? Yes. Jay Sexton with, a, with an English, English team. Yeah, so like. technically at the moment I'm an English rugby union player. Really? Yeah. And do you take pride in that? Well, of course. Even fa- family heritage from there. My gran- granny is a proud Yorkshire woman. She didn't actually come over to Ireland until she was 25 until she met my granddad. So is that on your father's side? No, my mum. Okay. Would you rather play for England than Ireland? No, of course not. That would be silly. Like, oh, fucking, I would never say well, that. You but. talked about heritage, and like England's a genuine imperialistic hub of the modern world. It's a genuine country. Ireland is a mere federation where two different countries come together to play together when they, they shouldn't be, really. They use different currencies. I know I said this in the last part. Um, if you think about it, like... Jacob Stockdale and his mates um, were paying for their dominoes in a different currency to Jordan Lorimer and his mates when they were about 16. There's different laws, man. They're not the same countries. They have different governments. So the Irish national team, yeah, it's not necessarily the country. Yeah, I think... (coughs) Valid point. I don't really want to get into something I don't know too much about. But do you not? You know what countries are, yeah? You know, I know what countries are. Yeah. It's just something. It's a very touchy subject. Is it? Yeah, you hear Rory Best coming out and talk about he's he's a proud Irishman, but he's also a proud Northerner as well. And you have to respect that. He's the captain of the Irish <coughs> rugby team, and he's the captain of the IRFU fifteen. Yeah, but I wouldn't want to say something. What's gonna? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and yeah, of course. You know, we need a lot of if we want to. Ignore facts, we can ignore facts. It's a, it's a pretty hard situation to comment. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I think uh, there's no shame in playing for the Irish um, rugby as a federation. Um, they're a great side, but I think if I was a guy who valued heritage, and I don't because I think countries are man-made things, I think they're a lot of bullshit, I think they have so much blood in their hands. So many people have died because countries were invented. They mean nothing. So in a way, I agree with you, I'd rather play for Ireland too. But just because you touched on heritage, I thought that you might have been leaning the other direction. Therefore, I'd definitely rather wear that red rose and shake fucking princess whatever's hand before a game than literally be sitting there singing Ireland's Call, which was written in 1995 by, like, Mickey Joe Hart's uncle. <laughs> um, After you, you, you left Leinster rugby, also, because your brother was at Leinster, was there kind of a want not to play there, in a way as well? Would you rather have kind of gone out and done your own thing than have been at the same club? Yeah, I think, especially now coming back to Dublin, um, realising how big the Leinster bubble is in terms of people around Dublin loving 
Leinster so much. Yeah, it's grown. But, yeah, it's grown. It's grown huge. But I prefer it when now that I'm in England, people won't recognise Jono as much. Um, and that means I can get out of his shadow or whatever you want to yeah. call it. And I can just play rugby and be happy for, for that. You're never getting, oh, that's Sexton's brother. I also you know think the positional difference, though, does a lot of that. Yeah, but no You're one, so different as players. One one use a literal, like, 6-6 six, six ogre, and the other one kicks. That does that a lot of favours in its own right. Yeah, of course. I, I would have hated to be in a similar position to him. Like, obviously, <clears> Mark, my nightmare. brother, brother, was similar positions, and that wouldn't have been easy, especially after his leg break. Yeah, like, if you were playing out half or trying to kick or something as his brother with his actual rugby CV on your shoulders, it would have been absolutely terrible. But in England, is it even recognised or in Jersey? No, so the nice thing about Jersey as well, like, rugby's so small over there, and also people, it's literally like they've never watched TV in their lives. Really? Over, yeah, they don't have a clue who he is. Even if I told him who he was, it still wouldn't make any. They're difference. like, yeah, we don't, we don't care. Yeah, mate. we don't know who he is. That's what they'd be saying. So not even just for rugby reasons, leaving Leinster was a good thing for you because you wanted to prove to yourself that you were doing it off your own merit. But also socially speaking and life wise, you didn't even want to necessarily grow up in this town of South Dublin where your brother is an icon. Yeah, I think even nights out and stuff, you always have people coming. Or like hear comments and stuff, which sometimes sometimes are good, sometimes are bad. Like, but it's so much easier just to take yourself out of that situation. Exactly, and you've never been one to play up to that kind of shit, anyway. Do you know what I mean? Because in a way, it doesn't really seem like your brother's that type of guy. I mean, the Leinster player sometimes fits a profile of getting a bottle of Grey Goose, going into a booth in Crystal, and just standing on that side of the red rope as opposed to that one, because that's the VIP section. It's the same floor. We're in a room in Harker Street, but in fairness, he never seemed like the type of guy who bought into that shit. No, he's a very, very driven guy. He's, yeah. um... Even, not, not necessarily, like, he is, I presume, absolutely driven and keen to improve himself, but also just not a dick as well, like, you know what I mean? Oh, I, like, I think the lucky thing was, with Jonathan, was when he was growing up, there was no such thing as that Leinster Rugby brand. And there was no such thing as that red okay. rope. So you only aspire to be what, what you, you wanted to be originally. Yeah. And what he wanted to be was it. Now, when you're 15, you're hearing about these nights out yeah, with Chris, yeah, yeah. or you're hearing You want to go out with an Instagram yeah, bird. Yeah, that's That's it. half the reason you're playing rugger. Like. So that's, if, a, that's a spectacular point, yeah. That makes a lot of sense, yeah. But even though he was post-Playboy, is what you uh, consider Brian O'Driscoll, he was still, you're talking about when he was 13. No, but when Brian O'Driscoll was um, getting in trouble in the Irish media, and he lost, was he, man? Was yeah, he? remember, like, remember, he lost. He apparently lost his form, which probably wasn't true. And he was, he got caught in an intercept. Or uh, something, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And they yeah. said he was smoking too much fags, and yeah, he was getting he was out too much drinking. There was photos of him. That's when Jonathan would have been like sixteen, so it would have gone pr- past probably that stage of maybe we were in seventeen, gone past that original stage of wanting. He would have not already known what he wanted. When you when you got when you left Leinster, like I don't know, what was the story? Did they just call you into a room and go, Yeah, we're not doing it? Um yeah, we played Irish twenties. Um I remember after the Six Nations I went up to um John Fogarty, who was one of the main guys. He's still there now. He's a scrum coach. He's he does the up. interviews on the pitch. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, really actually really nice guy. Was but, an okay player. Yeah, he got a few concussions. Mm. I went up to him and I said, um, I'm looking at London Irish for a three-year academy deal. Was um, that true? Yeah, yeah. And then he goes to me, he goes, yeah, unfortunately, we're not in a position to offer anything at the moment. And I was like, that's fair. And that that was it, really. Trained train for the World Cup. Um, I didn't, didn't go in the end. And then I was... For the 20s World Cup? Yeah. And then I was thinking I was going to go to uh, London Irish for a three-year academy. Why didn't that happen? Um, Especially if you went there on senior terms a few years later. The head coach at the time, Brian Smith was his name. I don't know too much about him, but apparently he did it to Foster Horn, who's a year older than me, Ireland 20s as well. Both of us planned on going over, and it just never came. That's that's the reason I ended up in France. But then you went to Ock, though. That that was a bit of a fall from grace in comparison to what followed after it as well. Like, Ock was, in terms of the standard of the club, way below anything you've been to since or before. Um, Do you think that was key? Do you think Ock was actually an essential learning? Yeah, I think if, if I went to a proper... Not not proper professional club, like a top professional club. I think the condition and the physical shape I was in, I would have been laughed out the door. Were those boys kicking the shit out of you, Enoch? Yeah, yeah, it was huge. It was massive. Like, for all their qualities, Ock, they were absolutely crazy bastards. Your fight, every every training session was fights, every game people were fighting. And were any of those boys, like, were they getting paid, the senior boys and all? Yeah, the senior boys were on, it's still the pro de deux in France. It's a second division, though. Yeah, second division. How good are they? It's like Bre- Breve are playing in the league. That like they just got promoted. Sure, at Breve will walk it. 
yeah, they got promoted. Like Biarritz are in the league, Perpignan are back in the league. Oh, like, really? Yeah, and yeah. the Ox senior team are in that yeah. league. They've got, they actually went bust there, so they're not in anymore. Did you ever play for the Ox senior team? No, I was on the bench, which was obviously when I was, what, 19, as a pretty decent. But you trained with them all the time? Yeah, I was fully trained with them. So you went over there kind of like just a bit of a fat guy who just wasn't really arsed, going out, as you said, not really wanting it, and then Ox put you into a position where you're going, if I'm not trying here, I'm going to die. Yeah, also I think that when you're over there, it's that discipline where you're training at half seven every morning and you're getting out to four o'clock and there's no other choice. And we played on Sundays with the under-23 team, so you couldn't even go out in the piss. So it does the world a good to you. It shows you what, if you want to be a professional, you have to actually do. Then comes Exeter. Yeah, then actually I signed for a team called Montemarsan who go up and down in France, top 14 to second division, which was... What do you mean you signed for them? I I had uh, there. three weeks. Yeah, what happened? Uh, I left. Why? Had a phone out with the coach. Really? Yeah. But you couldn't have had a like for the kind of you hadn't even had a senior appearance. So basically, what I was told was I was living with an Irish guy called Mark Flanagan. Yeah. Um, he was a lock as well. A really nice guy. Went in there. Um, they told me it's going to be top four locks in the club, like professionally. Anyway, it turns out I wasn't. I was training with the under twenty three team. I asked them why. They said, oh, there must have been a misunderstanding. I was like, I'm leaving. And then they were like, no, you're not. And I was like, well, I'm not coming back. And obviously my agent at the time then helped me through it. Went back to went back to Dublin for a week and then obviously got fortunate enough to get a move to Exeter. When you went to Exeter, obviously with the kind of experiences you've had so far, I mean, you're 21. You've been let go from Leinster. You then went to Ock. And then you had a three-week stint at another French team. At 21, you've, you're now in your fourth professional club. Did you kind of know this is more of a learning experience or did you like when you first got off that one year deal with a chance to actually be a rugby player did you ever think you were actually going to be starting premiership rugby or did you go no this is a start to getting there one day yeah I think uh, obviously not getting the opportunity at Leinster but feeling I played when I was playing well I knew I was playing well enough to probably make it somewhere Mm. that getting given the opportunity to go over I was like fuck it like I'm only 20 years old 19 what's the point of not saying doing it yeah. Like, I might as well have just gone and regardless of what happened, it was a You're great You're getting like 12-week deals and all next to it, aren't you? The original one was a 12-week trial because it was a big risk for them to take me. Yeah. Like, you're taking a 21-year-old, or I was 20 at the time, they're taking a 20-year-old kid over. Or sorry, I was 21 at the time. They're taking a 21-year-old ki- kid over. Yeah. Who? What was like the first day? Like, when also, like, did you ever, because it, well, I'm not saying it was the case, do you know what I mean? Like, at the end of the day, you did start for that Ireland team who won that under-18s thing, and I did see parts of you, like, when I was kind of standing on the wing making sure I didn't have to tackle anyone. Um, I did see you run pitches and all the odd time. Like, you were kind of good, do you know what I mean? So, you weren't in that place because of your brother. But when you went to a club like Exeter, and you knew you had the dubious CV thus far, and then you knew what people might spin it as, what's it like walking into that dressing room for the first time? When you're 21 and there's fucking Tom Waldron's there and iconic international rugby players, where's that bottle opener, Des Bishop? Do you know where it is? Open that up there, but um, with that kind of thing, with, like I said, English rugby. I understand that, yeah. No, no, but before English rugby, half of them didn't even know I was John's brother, and I took them to like six months to actually figure it out until someone talked to me about it. Okay, yeah. Because they're so like... What about that narrative in general, though? Because Irish society is such a begrudging one. And and all those articles that, like... Like, you skip her jersey last season. You're a random Irish guy, yeah? If a random Irish guy skippers jersey last season, they have a completely overachieving season like Jersey did last year, and you get into the team of the season voted for by the directors of rugby, if you were anyone, you'd be getting an end-up article now. You would be. You'd be in the Irish Times if you went... That That is the type of form that does get you to play for... A top 14 team who are one of the worst teams in the league but they have been new owners might not be now but it makes sense best second row in English championship goes to one of the worst teams top 14 that's everyday shit why if we're reading an article about the Irish guy who's slowly getting better who skipped jersey who had their best ever season who was in the team of the season and now has got to Southern Kings is it still that brother shit in the article now 26 though does that not annoy you yeah but at the end of the day people want like the reason why newspapers are doing that is because it sells newspapers. People want clickbait. People want the original, oh, fuck, I wonder what that's about. So the average punter will see 
Jonathan's ex then they'll go off yeah and I got it when you were going to Exeter in 12 week trial so it wouldn't have been news but now it is news now it doesn't warrant now it warrants a a guy Jersey captains after moving to the Kings by the way he's Irish yeah of course I also love like I've done articles for a few like uh, newspapers and stuff but like when when I do it with Murray Kins on the 42 he's actually really good he might obviously put the small thing in about being his brother but everything else is normally based on my rugby and that dream team how it went how the coaches how the whole living experience in Jersey was so it's great but then other companies are ringing my agent asking can we but I've seen their articles as always Jonathan Sexton's brother literally just a whole article about Jono and then they might just say some average 26 year olds playing yeah and will they nearly want like next season will they try actually do like a questions and answers thing and all before the match and play it up as a tale of two Sextons um, yeah but again it's all media based so whatever's going to sell tickets or get people interested in watching a game unfortunately that's the world we live in yeah but he he won't show up for that if no, he has a of, game yeah of course he won't but again it's the world we live in unfortunately yeah. we just have to I have to adapt and it's deal with that it's very funny though isn't it like, yeah I think he will I think if we're playing Leinster in Dublin and I'm fortunate enough to be in the team I think there might be a chance of getting us both into the room at the same time into the into what for the interviews? Yeah, I, I yeah. reckon for someone maybe he would want to do it for. But he's not going to be getting late hit off Gary Owens by South African number eight just for a bit of crack. No, I don't think there will be much chance of him playing unless yeah. it's a fitness issue where he needs a game before a big Heineken Cup game. Were you ever? Why weren't you more scared of the whole rugby thing? Like, I remember, like again, because we're still at that nineteen twenty period where you're not, you weren't even physically really doing enough. You weren't doing enough weights and shit when you were like 19 at the level of actually making it as a pro like you have done now. Like the last two years, something happened in Jersey where there's been a big shift. I remember you'd be in like a boozer and then you'd go for a weekend. You'd say, I just played against Sam Burgess and then you'd kind of be back in the boozer the next weekend. Why weren't you more afraid of the contact? How sore is it? Uh, nah, like when you first go in, now, now when I'm going over to South Africa, for the, there will be contact conditioning at the start. Where you're doing bag hits, you're going shoulder and shoulder. Bag hits, what's that? How's that contact condition? So you'd be there, you hit the bag obviously as hard as you can. That's just to ease you into it. Then as you gradually go, you'll start doing forcing, like mauling, a lot of mauling, a lot of scrummaging. Your shoulders are just immune to the pain. You don't really feel it. Obviously How bad's that for your shoulder going forward though? You will feel big injuries, but like it's not like the first couple of weeks of preseason's real bad. You're getting niggles, you're getting bangs in your arm, which you forget it actually it actually starts hurting. But then afterwards your body just gets used to hit the hits. When you're training in rugby, do you actually try murder each other who are teammates, or is that just a cliche? Oh, hundred percent. No one goes hundred percent in training. No, nah, it depends. That's that's a huge um difference between the top. No, that's change room talk. That is like that's it's such good crack when you're coming in after a day because all the boys who don't play are proper killing you, and all the boys who are playing want to save themselves for the weekend. It's not that you're saving yourself; you just don't want to be getting in a fight or like getting a big shoulder bang off someone just in case. Do fights still happen with the top level pros? Um, of course, it's still thirty to forty men who are high in testosterone who all want to get into fifteen places in the team. It's highly competitive, so of course there's going to be a few spills, like a few, like there's never really going to be like a big massive punch up, but there will be a bit of grabbing, a bit of pushing. The game's just growing and growing, and like probably the first time in rugby history, it's starting to get a little bit money orientated. It's starting to get a little bit sponsory. Have you seen a change in rugby culture even in the time you've been there? Because you entered in 2011, it's now 2019. There's been a huge change. The game's getting slightly commercial. Yeah, the the thing you see is. Instead of people rocking up in golfs like 2006 golf, you see people actually rocking up in these massive Mercs or Aston Martins, and you're kind of like, what, what's going on here? Not in Jersey, but yeah. in like London Irish and Exeter and stuff, people are actually rocking up in 2019 Mercs, and you're looking around, and you're like, what's going on here? But is the attitude of a rugby player then? Because I remember me and you, I remember you telling me that it's disgraceful that Mo Salah went off in the Champions League final in 2018. I think. When you said it was. Uh, explain what you said. I just felt as a professional footballer who could have got the half time, got an injection, mm. because it's an AC joint. It comes out in the paper. Yes. He's back playing in three weeks. Yes. The physical injury you can't make worse. It's just a joint. What's gone out of place. It's just pain related, and the physios would have given him that message. I just feel. Do the you know factually that it can't get worse or be more aggravated if he stayed in the game? It would not have been more aggravated. It's a, such a common... Is that, is that, can anything not be more aggravated? 
it's fine. It's probably highly unlikely to get more aggravated. And if it is, it's the just... the risk, man. Do you know the money? Football has so much money in it that sometimes you get so frustrated with the attitudes of footballers and how easily they go down when how fucking valuable they are. Do you know the, the African money that was been lost by TV channels if Mo Salah didn't show up last fucking summer? Yeah, a good Liverpool um, fan made of mine. We had this discussion the other day and he was fully agreeing with me. He said he felt that Salah should have stayed on the pitch. Because it's probably the biggest game which he would ever play in. We played well, no, played but uh, so at the time he would have never known that he would get to yeah. another Champions League final. So you can't say, oh, he might have done it again. Yeah, but you'd wonder is what I'm saying is how powerless these athletes have become with the size of their contracts. I'm not saying Salah was sitting there going, I'm not going back on, I'm not going back on. I I'm, I reckon that there's words from upstairs that are just saying. You ain't going back. Oh, I think that's speculation, man. Man, do you realise what money does? No, I understand that. But then do you know no, these then football clubs and these channels and these tournaments now have fucking New York Stock Exchange money? The shit's changed now. Yeah, I, I get that. And I'm not saying it. But I don't. I believe because the physios are coming on, they're trying to get him to play on. The message isn't coming for that exact moment. In his head, he might have gone, fuck this yeah, to the World Cup there. Of course, the message isn't coming in that moment. He doesn't have an earpiece. But the overall theme of conversation he's had with his agent regarding sponsors for the last two months are all about the necessity for him to show up at the World Cup. These are uneducated footballers. They don't own their own minds, man. Yeah, of course. And I, I understand that. Like, Let's get one thing straight, like, straight. Football players obviously go through the pain barrier. And that's why managers will... Get angry. I remember Mourinho coming out being like, some players will pay play through pain. Yeah, but some he might not. Said that. He said that um, in the wake of Chris Smalling missing the Swansea game due to a broken toe. And nothing ever really happened. And if you look at the decline of Jose Mourinho as a manager, it's due to the fact that footballers are no longer even subject to old school motivational techniques. Yeah, of course. But why would they be? They because so the much- sports. So you, you think the sports just dead because money? No, but I'm saying if you're going to pay someone 400 grand a week. <clears throat> of course. Yeah. Do they lose all motivation to be the best? Yes. Yes. And I've been saying this about Sanchez, man. He's, do you know he's after making a movie about his own life and he funded the entire thing? He got it. The direction, the director, the production, the entirety of it was funded by him. He's more obsessed with the Cayman Islands than he is doing ladders. Do you think he's deadlifting 100% now? He actually scored and assisted yeah, last no, night. They're playing Japan, though. I'd, I'd, I would. <laughs> But what I'm saying is, Jerry, right, money takes away from everything. And that old school, in terms of, like, maybe not the standards of football, because we are seeing, like, goalkeeping standards and finishing, like, and stuff like that we've never seen before. And the distance covered, unless you're in a Manchester United shirt, isn't decreasing now. So effort and all that, it's just more, it's more technical, it's more trained. There's less of that flair. And a lot of the appeal of rugby is Saturday afternoon, Twickenham, fucking... Brian Moore, Rundy, Rory Underwood, Keith Wood, fucking Gary Longwell. We want to see broken noses, we want to see cauliflower ears. Money is making the game slightly glamorous, and I think in such a combative sport like rugby union, can they really afford to lose that? I, I, I don't agree with that, because obviously you will get the odd glamour and everything like that, but American football, what is that? like? One of the richest games in the mm, world. Yeah. You're but, not losing the I'm going after but you. It's always been play by play. Rugby, the the beauty of rugby is it was a scrap. It's always just been continuous play. When a game's a one-play game and it's play, stop, break. Play, stop, break. They're still hitting cunts. They're still smashing. Oh, yeah, of course. But then uh, I'm trying to think back to the NFL season, the running back for... Um, what, what, what's your man's name? I think he plays for... Um, Are you talking about the guy who didn't go into the end zone? No, 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 I'll never forgive that bastard. Yeah, but no. he didn't know. Did you ever hear him say he didn't care what people in Vegas had and stuff? Really, yeah. Yeah, he came out saying, I don't give a shit about handicap backers. I was playing my game. He kneeled before he went into the end zone. And the handicap didn't come in for all the people who backed Yeah, no, yeah, I had, I had the bet on. Yeah, yeah, this guy's fucking about to rip the TV off the wall. Yeah. No, um, I was talking about um, the black running back with the dreadlocks. Okay, hold on. You've just described 90% <laughs> of running backs in the history of American football. Played, played for... Um, Kareem Hunt, who battered his battered the woman, and, and no, he got he hurt his knee. He's coming on every play. They're using using his knee was fucked. What about him? No, I'm just saying. There, someone's injured. The money's so high in the game. He's still coming on doing his job. Oh man, NFL players miss games when they could play. Yeah, but I because th- the contracts are fucking ridiculous. 
he's coming on with a bad knee though and he's getting through it the example you have is like a Michael Owen when Michael Owen was 18 they weren't letting him have more than three weeks off you're 18 you're 18 not a chance do you know what I mean and he was so overplayed that we had a guy who could have been one of the best players in the world literally end up at Stoke because his hamstrings were absolutely fucked yeah because they were overplaying but now you have a fucking Rashford and of course, he's playing like a prick because they're treating him like a prick. But if he feels a bit of a fucking ingrown toenail, he's not playing now. Because yeah, they've learned lessons from the owners. No, but of course, and I, I still believe when it comes to soft tissue injuries, it's a completely different story. When it comes to hamstrings, quads, calves, anything like that, it's a completely different ball game. It's not even the same conversation as doing an AC joint in your shoulder. Why do you think Mo Salah went off then? I think the pain Because you can't accuse that guy And as you know I bleed I Mancunian red You can't accuse that guy Of not being committed No I'm not saying He wasn't committed So why did he go off I'm saying the pain Barrier in his shoulder Was probably to an extent That he felt he couldn't perform But you think he could have performed I think that if he just got to half time Which I'm sure the physios Were telling him They would have just injected the shoulder It's always done in rugby So do you What minute exactly Are you Do you you, Do you know what exact minute He went down I can't really think of it now. I've had a few beers in me last <coughs> last summer. We were yeah. in uh, the Bath pub, I think. Yeah, okay, but let's just say you're asking for a team to take the risk of actually possibly playing with 10 men in a European Cup final. That can kill you in four minutes. Yeah, I know that, but he can de- he can still run and he's the best player in the world at that time. He's not He's on well, the, he's, he's, he's the Ballon d'Or list for the top, what, three or four? Yeah, but he wasn't the best player in the world, but I okay. guess you're saying he yeah. was up there. Okay. Yeah. But for Liverpool, his... What he would do? Do you not think he would have ran around and tried to defend it if he could? You think that every step he took, he just didn't feel a fucking ridiculous pain in the shoulder? Not every single person has the same pain threshold. Is also a point, and not every single injury feels the exact same based off its kind of technical diagnosis. No, but I think the fact he's playing three weeks later <coughs> shows that he could have probably done something. But like, how do we, like was he not injected out of his bag playing in the World Cup? Yeah, I presume he was, but I just believe that if nothing's that bad, if you can play three weeks later. But like Wayne Rooney nearly ruined his career and it was an effect that stayed with him for most of his career. Um, Against Bayern Munich in 2010, Rooney got injections before the home leg, having had an ankle injury in the first leg. He didn't score from open play, having already had 33 goals in all competitions, he didn't score a goal from open play for the next nine months because he got injections and played. Went to the World Cup injured. The great see your home fans boo you. That's what loyal support is. All that shit. The start of his next season was absolutely calamitous. He couldn't really play. And he was still at that World Cup. He was still showing up, but he couldn't really play. Your ankle's so important in any kind of context. Ankle, knees, hamstrings are huge. For shoulders... If someone goes to me, which, what would you rather injure going into a rugby game? I know they're completely different sports. I'd always say upper body. Oh, yeah. Because your legs are what, what you are. Absolutely. But it comes back to my question of, what do you think Salah was doing? I think he felt he was injured, so he came off. I just feel that he probably could have found something else in him to go, fuck this, it's a Champions League final. I don't know if I ever got a chance to play in a, Champions, like in a European Cup final. It would take a lot to get me to get off that pitch. Yes, I know it's different. Of course, man, like like these guys. Why do you think we'd allow people who work on Wall Street in the New York Stock Exchange and all yeah to make like two million a year, gross money, but a lot of money, not have a life, not be able to speak, have their own opinions, cheat on their wives, and their wives nearly just let them because they're not even allowed to be in love. And their kids don't know them, but eventually they create a trust fund, send them to a university, and like, oh, my dad's real sound. I love my dad because they see him um, on a Long Island mansion once a summer, and he has grey hair, and he's with a girlfriend the same age as his fucking daughter. For two million a year, that's what he has to do. That's the ownership he has over his own life and relationships. If you think that these footballers, right, who are making 50 million a year, including sponsorship and all, even have a say where they're taking a shite. You're living in, in, in cuckoo land. Because nowadays they also have their social medias planned. They're telling them what to like. They're telling them, well, like, get the lit to like that United thing so we can kind of pretend to Barcelona, United have a chance. It's sick. The lit was never coming to United. He was going to Barcelona. The deal was done last fucking Christmas for Barcelona. 
Barcelona have first choice over Ajax players because Johan Cruyff invented La Masia. He invented total football. He more or less invented modern-day Barcelona. They're more or less the same fucking club. These guys don't have ownership. Wayne Rooney, no ownership over his career. Paul Stretford ran the entire thing. And Stretford told him in no uncertain terms, like he did try again to leave United twice, Stratford told him, and so Rooney would become the highest paid player in European football. He told Rooney before the 2010 World Cup, you ain't missing it. Nearly ruin your career by not scoring for nine months straight in your 20s, but you ain't missing it. Nah, but I, I, believe, I don't think Salah had that decision. Yeah, but I believe for Rooney, growing up on a council estate, he loves football. Of course. And like... Reading, like reading bits of his book, reading anything, yeah. you can see how... Well, I disagree. His book's more or less illiterate. <laughs> yeah, but... <laughs> it's more or less a crayon book. Yeah, now. okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying you can tell he's actually in love with football. Of course. And in terms of he's going out into this, <clears throat> this fucking street when he's 16... Still and they're all up. beautiful stories, but the unfortunate thing about the working classes is they can be manipulated by people. They voted for Brexit. Trump's in the White House because of them. And even Oasis split up and forgot that they fucking found a broken guitar in a council estate in Manchester and took over the world because someone came along and told one of the brothers, have you ever heard of a pot of fucking cash? Because I believe you're the songwriter. And these guys who dream of lifting the European Cups and you read their books and have the romantic story, they suck them to the power of money. No, but I think sometimes you have to actually say... With someone like Rooney, he's also very driven, interna- like international for football. Wayne Rooney could have been potential-wise top ten of all time. Yeah, of course, and didn't want enough. Yeah, because it's, because he had the, the sha- yeah the shape, whatever. Yeah, and his agent sold him the idea. But for that being branding, that, but for being that important. for being that good with that kind of shape, whatever you want to say about Wayne Rooney, that just shows how much raw talent he actually oh, has. ridiculous. One of the most gifted we've ever and seen. And how much he must have actually tried on the football pitch. Because he must have given everything on the pitch. He probably yes. lifestyle yes, wasn't. Yes, of course. But if he had, if he had complimented that with the correct lifestyle, what he could have offered would have been even greater. Yeah, of, of so course. So like, you if don't just do your effort on the pitch. Because most people try on a pitch, man. Because that's just kind of life, isn't it? If you're put into any situation. If we got Bill Gates down here right now and go, there's a pool table in the corner. And he was going home to literal 60 billion and can shit on his kitchen floor and the fucking ground just literally cleans it up from him and goes how was that one Bill huh, don't forget to wipe he'd still care if he was red or yellow he'd still care about that pool game he's in the mindset but it's what goes on outside the pitch and the kind of attitude is what really measures the greatness of a man it's like Mike Tyson Mike Tyson didn't quit in a ring Mike Tyson went out and got a few hidings. By the time he bit Holyfield's ear off, but that's because he was getting bedded. <laughs> he just hated losing that much. But Tyson's attitude off the ring was absolutely appalling. So he was led by a man called Don King, a working class guy called Brooke from Brooklyn, who was manipulated by a man called Don King to tell him money's everything. And that's why Tyson, I wouldn't even have him in the top 10 heavyweights ever. You, that's a different argument, though, isn't it? Same as Rooney. In a way, obviously, Rooney wasn't getting convicted of rape and. And the likes, but like, he also wasn't a black American in I the early nineties, where it was kind of easy to organise that accusation. But I think if they're that controlled, then someone of major Rooney went to the gym more, had his own chef, kind of did what Ronaldo did. No one made sure of that because Rooney didn't. No, but I'm I'm saying if it's that, if it's like if the controls that much, it so is now. It is now. Now they're not letting those footballers happen. Like the Gascoigne's and the best, and like Rooney Luke was Shaw. the last generation of them. Shaw's just a very overweight guy. No, but I'm saying, but also a tit who has his teeth done and all. But he's not as big of a brand as Rooney, man. Yeah, but surely he could be. But like, if that age on United, England's could be England's best left back. But yeah. yet again, he's apparently overweight, which he probably isn't. Yeah, but he looks it. He does look it, but like that can also be the way he just stores fat. And also, he's post-leg break. And he's still in his early 20s, and he's had a year-out leg break. Recovery from that slow. But anyone who does recover, it's a huge achievement. And Shaw had a good season, when United's Player of the Year. No, but I'm, in, a, in a terrible side. Yeah, but I'm just giving the opinion of, if it's all that controlled, and they can't even shit where they want to shit, apparently, yeah. then surely someone's making sure he's eating fucking chicken and rice and broccoli. No, because they're debatably just pushing his objectives in a different direction. Like, obviously, Lingard and Rashford have an agent who can make them better footballers, but they're not even arsed. 
they'd actually rather grow their Instagram following than their goals and assist ratios. Because you're living in a world where you actually think that these owners want trophies and want success on a field. They don't. They want money. Manchester United has been round by people who don't want anything but money. They don't care if United win an FA Cup final. They don't care. If they're in it, they don't. They do not care. Uh, yeah, apparently. But surely it's it's all connected. If United get to a Champions League final, then the revenue will increase. If they start challenging... Over a long time. But, yeah. But United's commercial revenue is so consistent and growing because they have some of the most marketable players online in the world, like people like Paul Pogba, that by the time the Glazers' effect of having Ed Woodward in and having us deteriorate as a brand has kicked in, they'll have already sold. It'll be like Bebo. They'll have already sold it to some tit who thinks United are still worth four billion. And then suddenly the new generation comes along. If This is if Woodward continues to act the way he's acting. Hopefully this doesn't happen. The new generation comes along and goes, Manchester United haven't been in a Champions League final for 20 years now. Like, what, Why am I buying that jersey? And then the new owner is stuck with a fallen giant. And that's the worst outcome here. Yeah, but a lot of fans will also come from families. Like the new generation. There'll always be dads. There'll always be... Like if you had a kid... Jerry, new you, fans, young ones don't care as much anymore because they're on social media. You used to have to go and watch the full 90 and you'll remember the smell of the cigarettes. You'll remember the smell of the chip fan and you'll remember what it was like. Man, there's mics. There's, you're fiddling there. you remember what it was like watching David Humphreys take off a scrum cap but these kids now run their phone. They're playing Candy Crush Saga in between decisions. No one's passion's the same anymore. Even Liverpool winning the Champions League, it didn't make as much of a noise in the media as it should have done. Like it's like I've I've said this in previous shows to other people. You'll always remember where you were when nine eleven happened. Because you remember what happened, you remember who told you. But no one's gonna remember I remember where I was and I pulled out my phone and saw this fucking meme of a plane going Da fear after a hangover. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? The world's lost its validity in so many ways that to hope that these new diehard fans are going to be there in 20 years, I think is naive. I think it depends how they're brought up. I think it depends as well on... I know if, if I ever had a boy, I think I'd always bring him up in a Manchester United jersey make sure he loves them. doesn't matter how they're doing. But he might not love them in the same way and you, you'll be too busy and occupied in life to make sure that he's like watching Bishop Blaze videos and knows the starting 11 from the treble. As long as he's going, yeah, I love United because Jesse Lingard dances, you won't know the difference. But I think it's huge how you bring your child up in terms of you don't have to expose them to social media straight away. You don't have to give them the phone when they're four years old. And they're like, oh, they're in the fucking code and I doing FaceTime. Pick, I need a pick. I'm coming back straight away. I'm coming back. I need a piss. Do you need a piss? Nah, I'm fine. Going on, though. The part we're going on, man. Oh yeah, but this will all be edited now. I don't know, man. It's fucking just eating McDonald's as well. <laughs> it's actually fucking fake, man. Yeah, crazy. Don't wear this jumper as well. Did you? Were you having points the other night? When? Now? No, no, I was just asking Dobby the other night. Oh, I was coming out of the dick. Yeah, well, I was what do you mean you don't have to expose them? What? What? Do you, continue that point. I was just having. I, don't, I think it depends. I, I you don't have to hand your kid at four a fucking phone which you can type in the password and do whatever he wants on it. <coughs> it's crazy. I've seen people been exposed to people in Jersey obviously not going to name any names but their three year old kid is there and they whip out the iPad and they put in the code and they go onto YouTube but you know it's a slow way of the government actually just controlling the people so basically there was all these dictatorships and then in the pre kind of era um, of, of news outlets and proper day to day social media they could go to Vietnam and make up reasons to us why they were going just because they wanted power and then like they did in Iraq and made up the whole weapons of mass destruction thing when it was actually a threat of oil undermining the US stock market this whole giving everyone a phone is a way of following us because they know how dangerous technology has gotten technology has gotten so dangerous that it can expose them for everything they're doing but they're controlling the information so like it's nearly out of our hands I genuinely think that socially if you weren't giving your six year old a phone in ten years it would actually nearly come across as parental cruelty yeah but I know um, 
how I, how I'd want to bring up my child is I'd want them to have a normal upbringing. I want them to be outside kicking a football, going into Leinster Cricket Club with their mates. Why that club? Nah, it's just something obviously we did when we were younger. Something nice, like as in we're don't, don't admit that in the show, man. <laughs> <laughs> no, we did. What are you talking about cricket? No, no, I'm not saying dragging birds and fucking drinking cans. That's what I was up to when I was younger. Fucking cricket. <laughs> no, um, but, but when you're when that's you're not going to be the case, man. Yeah, but you can give them that opportunity. And you're going to be that weird family, like you looked at those ones from the fifties and all. That won't be the case. That's that the world is now online. <clears throat> I think that's a concept, and especially you think it's going to burst. No, I don't think it's going to burst because obviously it's very easy to hand your kid a phone and let him sit and watch fucking Dora to explore for four hours straight and not have any words out of him. Like hypnotizes your kids. It's easy for a parent to do that, but I still believe that. You can bring them up the right way. Of course, yeah, when they're young, but when they're at the stage where like they actually matter as a football fan, like when, where the arguments stemmed about their passion, um, they're 12 and they're 13, and they will care more about letting 13-year-olds, birds they might fancy, know that they are at the game in Old Trafford and put it up on Instagram than actually storing those memories. Like when we were at that Roma game in All No 7, yeah, that's 7-1. Yeah, you watch the 7-1. You watch Ronaldo. Score the brace. You watch Pat Evra score. You watch Alan Smith score. You watch Carrick get two. And Waza Rooney scores first Champions League goal since the hat-trick. 2-1 down the first leg. Hooliganism before the game. And then you beat Roma 7-1. Which really marked the arrival of that Ferguson team from 07-09. And we were both at that game. Age 14. You watch the game. You take it back to your hotel room, man. And it just stays in your mind. And you relive every goal up in your fucking brain. Up in your fucking skeletal, yeah. But nowadays, that's not going to be the case anymore. Because you go online, you want to let every single other kid know we were there, like this, follow this, and the meaning of it's gone. No, but I think no one can recreate the buzz of when you're opening up the score. And I remember when to see Tottenham United in Old Trafford and Van Nistelrooy scores the penalty and the buzz and the relief. And you're watching that and your dad's there hugging you because you know they're one nil up. Yeah. That can never be replaced. That's human emotion. And I think that in itself, no internet can give you that buzz. Yes, it can't give you the buzz. But what I'm saying is the internet is numbing human emotion. And not just father-son, friends-wise. And the importance we're placing. You can have a mutual agreement with somebody who lives away. And I'm not saying you do this or I do this. But there's people who have friends who have moved away. And as opposed to going over and visiting or making sure they have a phone call. They have an agreement that let's just like every Instagram post that happens either way for the next five years and we can remain mates and meet at Christmas. They're not as reliant on that actual interaction anymore. Yeah, I, I understand that, but I think like, I have an Instagram account which I've had six posts in three, four years yeah. on it. So it's such an irrelevant thing in my life. And I think a lot of boys in the rugby team as well won't have it. Yeah, of course, but... I think it's you a are guys who have to put your head in knees and all and actually take that level of pain for a living. So you're not really entitled to be engaging in something that shallow in ways. Obviously, the Lingards and the Rashfords are at the other spectrum of millionaires, so they've nearly gone down in the Kardashian way. But rugby is like the internet can't make you have to not put your money where your mouth is and show up and tackle people and take flat lines. Yeah, but I think when it comes to Rash- Rashford and Lingard as well, they feel that what does Lingard have like 5 million followers he probably thinks 5 million people care about his life so much that he needs to keep them updated on it even though he doesn't if you went on to his right now you would see him making these posts and just like 500 abusive comments about go to Derby go to Sunderland get out of our club it's nothing but hate but he'd really rather take that hate because it's still publicity they think like the pop bands started thinking when they ruined the music industry when Westlife and all these bands came in and started singing Mandy and these songs that were written 60 years ago started taking awards off people who used to meet up and write tunes with guitars and not have to go into a business category but win the Brits ahead of fucking genuine rock and roll bands we were all going but hold on they're not they're not writing the songs they're not they're not playing instruments how are they doing this and now it's like hold on he's not scoring goals he doesn't he doesn't get any assists. It's becoming a popularity contest. It's not even about how good you are at sport anymore. Lingard is still more famous than fucking Wijnaldum. And will still make more money than him and still have more of a brand to spend the rest of his career off, even though your man just won the European Cup. Because that's how fucking warped social but media is made football. I think it's huge that 
obviously when Adam's Dutch and Lingard, like the English factor is so big nowadays that it's such like so big football, so big. Man, like being English makes he's it so bigger, much. He's bigger than like Kyle Walker, who's won back to back leagues and all. It, it, he's bigger than English guys. He shouldn't be bigger than Jesse Lingard is like Jesper Blankwas level of player. No, but you'd probably say that he's the potential to be better. He's twenty six. <laughs> he's twenty six now. Jesse Lingard. Yeah, so hitting his peak then. No, no, yeah, no. Yeah, yeah. Hey, man. Jesse Lingard is a fucking disgrace, but he'll stay at Manchester United because Woodward and the Glazers see numbers. They don't see goals and assists anymore. But then, surely, if that argument's valid, then why would any manager ever want to manage Manchester United in terms of if they can't decide who's playing for the football club? They fucking can't. Mourinho didn't sign half the players that came to the club. No, no, so then what's the point of them managing? Sanchez can't even play piano. What was the piano thing about? Like, you know what I'm saying? What's the point of the managing? As someone like Jose Mourinho will hint constantly in modern football, none. None. So then what do you reckon Guardiola's doing then? Guardiola um, is one of the rarities who has mastered the form of communication and been given full backing of his owners to make ridiculous decisions. He walks into a club when a guy's won multiple leagues and never had a bad game and is in a bad mood in training one day, walks over to Joe Hart and goes, you know what, I don't just want you out of here, I want you subbing for Burnley in two years. And decides Joe Hart shit, and he's been shit ever since. He has the full power of the club because they were nothing before him. So we had the benefit of them having no history. Mourinho came and those owners and Edward who runs the club have the arrogance of thinking Manchester United's brand and success has something got to do with them. So they didn't let him place his identity in the team. He wanted to get rid of Martial last summer. They wouldn't let him. He told them Pogba is the problem. They wouldn't believe him. So would you get rid of Martial? Yes. Of course. 100% all the he time. Four years ago. Yeah, I know. I'm just yes, asking. Man, at the Manchester United we grew up loving, there was no such thing as four years. You did in 18 months, so there's the front door. Diego Forlan, top player, top centre forward, great career. Didn't do it in his Manchester United time. Move on. Showed more potential, scored big goals, scored two in Anfield, scored a winner against Chelsea at home twice. Get out. What have these guys done? <laughs> yeah, but Ferguson com- is completely different. It's you not know just what I mean? Ferguson. It's Martial wouldn't still be at City now. Martial wouldn't still be a but Chelsea do you think, now. But do you think Martial has the potential to be a player what would be a valid... Like, can he not just keep... Is the dressing room the problem with Manchester United? Are the players good enough, but whatever's happening behind the scenes... Is it's just, how we allow the players to behave. Yeah, so, so yes, Martial could have came good enough, but you can't take four years off. Yeah, so I'm saying if you sign if you sign another left-tack midfield player, forward, they're coming but into the club... You know we gave Matt a three-year contract today, yeah? No, I didn't see Did that. Did you know that? No, Juan no, Mata has signed a three-year deal with Manchester United. I thought it was off. No, no, I no. read last week, it's done. Three-year deal, Juan Mata. He would not start for Beechwood. <laughs> Do you know he wouldn't get like over 15 goals for Beechwood this season? He wouldn't. How would he? Can't run. <laughs> He's slow, man. He's, He's so He runs slow. like he has shit in his pants. That's the state of but affairs, can, man. Can you just sack every attacking midfield player you have, or strike or whatever you want to say? Can you just sack all of them? And just go, we need a whole fucking new six of them. You know we have that money and that luxury that, yes, right now but we can. If you sign another six, is it going to change? You still have Pogba and stuff walking around the restaurant. I don't mind that Daniel Jane sign because I know he comes hungry and I know he's quick. And if you have something like pace that's raw and unteachable, you can teach someone to finish. You can't give them that instinct. Would you teach them to finish. Would you say Carabell? I think we'd be very arrogant not to right now. I think he's 29. Yes, he's passed. Of course, he's not the same player. But guys, come on. We haven't been in a title race in six years. Of course, we'll take Arabelle right now. Even to have that name marching he down still the Trafford ring. He was so electric and so quick that will he ever not be able to run? Will he not be doing triathlons and all when he's I don't 52? Know, man, he's he's a real hard-working yeah. kind of nerd, though. Fastest bastard ever. Yeah, so athletic. Probably, in terms of success and achievement... You could argue that the most impressive British footballer ever. He won four Champions Leagues and brought Wales to a Euros semi-final in 2016, as well as winning PFA Player of the Year twice. Yeah, but his injury history is horrendous. Hold on a sec, what are you pointing at? He's saying we to go. Right, well, that's um, that's just the way things are. Um, is that the, the ball cunt? Um, but before we wrap up, Jerry, obviously thanks for coming on and, and thanks for... Um, uh, been so open and letting us get to know you, but um, what are your uh, what are your ambitions for the for the rest of your rugby career? Because we don't, you're going to South Africa. The the listeners don't know if we'll ever hear from you again. Um, 
Oh, cheers for having me on the show. It was actually uh, uh, yeah, no, good, was good chat. Good it, was chat. T- it was nearly too real. Do you know what I mean? But like that's just that's just the way things were. But what is the story? Like, do you ever think one percent? Do you think you can play a World Cup warm up game for Ireland? No, listen, honestly. Um, what it comes down to is nowadays um, after talking to some mental health, like not mental health coaches, but mental coaches in rugby, yeah. help you achieve things, and especially people over in Jersey who've helped me with my career. You just go one one step at a time, and um, the next goal is hopefully get into the first match day squad for the Kings. Hopefully start, and then obviously you'll go from there. So I just want to have a good season. But really. you know the way you have this, you're there for three years. When that's done, you're going to be 29. You don't plan on stopping there, though. No, of course not. Obviously, um, your career takes. Is your body healthy enough? Do you not have you not not done enough physio? Do you not have some nasty niggles? Yeah, of course. Every rugby player has niggles, but I think going. Going out here to the Southern Kings, this will help my body because I play five or six weeks on and they don't play in the European Cup, so I'll have a break. So hopefully by the time I'm 29, I'll have a few options. Um, it just depends how I progress in these next couple of years. With a top man and an open man, and uh, it's been absolutely um remarkable experience having you on. Um, you probably will end up doing the show again. You'll be back here for half the year next year. I mean, Southern Kings more or less are an Irish team. But uh, I'll touch glasses with you and uh, wish you the best of luck with um, your endeavours. Jerry Sexton. Yeah, cheers, guys. Show.